We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Transformative Principal episode 197 with Dan Kelly. Today, I'm going to continue my conversation with the president of NASSP. I'm really grateful that he took the time to chat with me. It's a uh, Always nice to get the perspective of somebody who is leading a large organization and doing a lot of things. So I'm grateful that I was able to chat with him and really good conversation. We talk about grades and National Junior Honor Society and National Honor Society and things like that. So I hope you enjoy this. Thanks so much for listening and please share this with someone else. So could you talk a little bit about the difference between owning something and leading out on something? And, you know, we're talking about social media right now, but could you, you know, even generalize that more? Because I think that's a real challenge that almost every principal faces is how do we own something and it's ours and our little baby? And how do we lead an initiative where other people are going to have the power to make adjustments and make it their own and make it really grow bigger than we could have ever thought. It's it's so the expectations that are on building leaders, on superintendents, on school districts to make change happen and they want it done now. You know, in this we're kind of in this fast food culture and we want it fixed now. And schools historically embrace embrace change a little bit slower. When you're dealing with, uh, you know, I have a faculty of close to about 80 folks, which is about 750 kids in my building. Trying to get everybody on board and, and move quickly can be challenging. And I think the key, and I think it's where I screwed up 
early on in that first and second year in, in, in Smithfield was I think we pushed change a little too fast. And, but we had some outside forces that were putting a, a great deal of pressure on us. One was the Department of Ed, and one was our accreditation uh, organization, NEASC, as we had a, a visit looming in the f- would have been my third year as, as principal. And so those two entities really forced us to move faster than I would have liked. And in retrospect, I wish I had slowed down and taken more time to listen and gather input from folks from the, from the staff and a lot of the initiatives that we created we would get input from folks here and there but we owned them and if they failed they were going to be on us and you know Alan and, and and Renee and I did my, my two assistants you know we worked our tails off to make sure everything worked and then it was probably around year five or six that I went how am I supposed to keep up this pace because we own it all. And so we, we didn't do a good job of distributing some of that leadership early on and getting a little more buy-in. Um, and I think you know, one of the things that was, was a topic was grading, and we really tried to attack grading practice. So when we were getting into the, so the grading conversation, and we spent about um, probably a good four years just talking about grading, researching what are those key things that we would want to attack and change in our grading practices. We didn't come in in year one and say, we're getting rid of zeros, we're getting rid of homework. We really were thoughtful about it and spent a lot of time getting people comfortable with the, the conversation. And then we jumped, we got to the point where we said, all right, we're going to jump in. And we picked, I don't know, two or three or four different areas of grading that this is, this is what we're going to do. And in that year that we did that was one of the most challenging and most grueling years for me as a principal. They, staff was ready to take a vote of no confidence in me over grading. It was so bizarre. Uh, of, of all the crazy things that I had done in my career, this was the one that really got people. And I think, yeah. I, think I screwed up in that I, I thought I gave them enough time by you know, walking through this and working on this for, for three, four, five years, but they weren't ready yet. And so I really think at the end of the day, when as principals, we have to try to distribute that leadership. We've got to get more people. We've got to get more teachers that are, are helping to drive some of these initiatives. And I think one of the challenges that we, we refer to the silent majority. And you always have in your faculty those three or four or five teachers that are very outspoken. They may be great teachers. They may be your worst teachers. Um, but they're the ones that that seem to drive conversations, but then you have that silent majority that won't speak at a faculty meeting or a common planning time. But after the meeting, they'll come running up to you going, Hey, I love that. That was great. Let's, let's continue this. And I'm going, where were you an hour ago? Yeah. You know, where were you I, when I needed you? I needed you back then. And so we've tried to, again, distribute that leadership to really try to focus in on that silent majority and try to give them a bigger voice because they want to move forward. They may be a little unsure of it, how to do it, where to go with that next step. But I think that's the, the core group that, that principals really need to kind of attack that will help move whatever initiative that you're trying to, to work. But we can't own it as principals. I found that I, I was exhausted. The last two years, that by the time summer rolled around, I would just be beat. I'm going, how do I take some stuff off of my plate to, to help keep a little more balance in my life so that I can continue to do this for the rest of my career because I enjoy this work. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, as I, I want to stick with grading, but just as a side note, like me pushing all this stuff with personalized learning, that's not really going to like, I'm ready to roll. Like there's no question about it. But if the teachers in my new school are not on board and as excited as me about it, then we're just not going to have the the success that we need to to be able to make the change that we need to have happen. Right. So they've got to be on board with it. And so, you know, you mentioned some of the things you did with grading, taking away zeros and and other things. What are some of those things that you feel are most beneficial and and applicable in that grading piece that we should definitely be implementing in, in our own schools? I, I think the, the biggest the biggest issue is using grades to bring compliance in a classroom. You know, grades really need to measure what a kid knows, you know. And so when you've got teachers giving, you know, 10 bonus points because you bring in a box of tissues, that just completely <laughs> invalidates the whole process. So what? So what? Is, <laughs> so now that kid's got a 97 now because they brought in a box of tissues. It, it, and so really trying to get a grade to measure and tell me, I don't know what it means. And I ask that question to teachers all the time. What does a 97 mean? What's the difference between a 92 and a 97? Does that mean the kid knows, you know, 5% more or did that kid bring in two boxes of tissues? I don't know, but we don't do a good job of talking about grading early on in teacher preparation programs. I don't really recall ever taking a, I remember taking a testing class where we talked about standard deviation and Y's and X's and R's and stuff like that, that was completely irrelevant to what happens in the day-to-day yeah. classroom. You know, we're taught by our, whoever our, our cooperating teacher was at student teaching, we tend to adopt whatever their model was. And then we tweak it and we, and we adapt it. And so we have some teachers in our building that have made some pretty dramatic shifts and are moving to a more of a standards-based system. But we still live in a world at the end of the day where by policy, I have to report out a percentage grade. Yeah. And, and so trying to work through that takes a lot, of it, a lot of time. And we're having success with it with our social studies department. We're starting to make some progress you know, with, with English. Math and science, holy cow, because they're so black and white and numbers. You know, they're scientists and mathematicians. And so that's where I find that the conversation is the hardest in trying to get folks to move forward and, and to think a little differently about how we grade and, and, and how we assess kids. And I, I tell the story, I had a young man, this goes back early in my, in my time in Smithfield, he failed a science class and because he didn't do homework, he didn't do any of his labs. I mean, he would go to the labs, he'd participate in the lab, but he would never do the, the lab sheet at the end. But this kid would consistently get 80s to, to 95s on all of his assessments. But he failed the course because he didn't do the homework. Now, homework is important. I don't disagree with that. But should homework be the thing that stops that kid from getting credit? And and those are fun conversations and, and challenging conversations to have with, with faculties because you're going to have a, a few folks, yep, they didn't do their homework. They're disrespecting me. Right. Well, they take it personally. Yeah. Well, it's are we here because of you? Are we here because of that that kid? And I've seen a lot of movement in my building with that conversation, and I'm starting to see teachers being more flexible and starting to use alternative ways of assessing kids. So, you know, this kid might not do well on a paper pencil test, but you know, they can talk you through it. 
they can tell you verbally or they can draw the diagram that explains the concept that you're trying to, to, to get them to understand. But I look at my own kids, and so I've got a, a – my son's going to go into eighth grade and my daughter's going to go into sixth grade next year. And I go back to first grade when they started taking uh, the spelling tests. You know, you get the 20 words every week kind of thing. And we would do the practice test like a lot of parents do on Thursday night, and we'd go through the words. And my daughter would say to me all the time, Daddy, you have to put a grade at the top of it. And I went, mm-hmm. you missed one. You did fine. But you have to put the grade, Daddy. I said, no, I don't. You missed one. Great job. You're going to get it. You're going to nail it tomorrow. I got confidence in you. And then, so we start this grade, hyper grade focus, kindergarten, first grade, that by the time they get to you in middle school or me in high school, it's so ingrained. It's, it's hard to get the kids to shift then yeah. in this conversation. It's one thing to try to get the students, the, the, the teachers, but then when you shift and you try to get kids who have been point hungry and they're point collectors, and not, it's not about learning. I don't know if we'll ever solve this conundrum in, in my career. I, I think it's just as parents, we were point hungry. And so as parents, we expect our kids to be point hungry. It's all about the grade at the end of the day. And I'm still struggling with how do we fix that? How do we continue to change that, that culture? And it, it might not happen for, for quite a while. Well, you know, there are, there are schools around the country that are making that change. And it gives me hope. You know, one of the most interesting things that I've experienced as a parent relating to school is seeing my kids play school and and what that looks like. And oh my goodness, I am I am so ashamed right. <laughs> of what our education system yep. <laughs> is. And even at a young age, my daughter in first grade learned that it was about compliance. And yeah. when she was playing school at home, it was about compliance. I'm the teacher. You have to do what I say, period, end of story. And I just, I, I saw that and I, I just thought my poor, sweet, innocent little girl is, <laughs> is already corrupted by this idea that everything is about compliance. And yeah. she's a people pleaser and she wants to make everybody happy and wants to, you know, Make sure that she's always doing the right thing. And I, you know, what I want her to do is to do, is to do the right thing, but not do the right thing in somebody else's eyes, do the right thing in her own eyes. And I feel like I've got such an uphill battle in trying to teach her that because she has learned that it's all about making the teacher happy and not about doing what's right for you. So anyway, like that just, (laughs) yeah. We've got a long battle ahead. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Yeah. So um, one of the things I also want to talk about before we finish up here is your role as the president of NASSP and what that looks like and how you you are working to help uh, uh, principals. I think one of the, the challenges that I see is NASSP is a large, old, historical, you know, they've been around for a long time. And I I get the impression that maybe not everybody sees value in belonging to a national organization like that. I know um, in the two states that I've worked, the principal association membership has been declining and, you know, those are real challenges. So, so what do you see the role of NESSP going forward 
four principles to support them in these kinds of issues? That's a great question. And it's something that you know, I've been on the board now for, for five years and we have struggled with with what what is our mission? What is our strategic our strategic plan? How do we provide a a service to our members? And so we've had to really rethink and redesign and we've been very strategic in that over the last four, five, six years of what does this membership want and what are their needs? And if you look at nonprofit boards, even outside of education, they're all struggling with membership right now. Um, actually, the one that I think that isn't struggling is ISTE. I'm, I'm always amazed at how ISTE, you know, they, they had like 25,000 people showed up for their conference or something uh, in Texas this year. But nonprofit boards are, are struggling and because the times, the cultures, things are, are changing. And so what is that member benefit and what does member benefit mean now versus 20 years ago? I had a mentor when I became an assistant principal. He looked at me and he said, you're joining NESSP. You have to. He goes, if nothing else, you have to do it because of the insurance policy. And I kind of looked at him and he said, you need to protect yourself in case something happens. And and so you, I think it's up to like a $2 million uh, policy that, uh, that you get through your membership. And I kept thinking, all right, well, is that all I – I'm dropping this money just for that? Like what else am I getting for that? And I think as as new leaders start to emerge here in, 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 the, in the coming years – you know, millennials don't look at membership the same as we did 20 years ago. And so we have to change the member benefit. And so we've got to really rethink that. And I, I have to give a lot of credit to, to our executive director and, and her staff, uh, Joanne Bartoletti, for strategically thinking about how do we stay relevant in our current times. We just celebrated our 100th anniversary as an organization. And they, she recognized that if we continue doing what we're doing, we're not going to be around 100 years from now. And so one of the things that we've got to be more than just in insurance. And so we have to look at a couple things. And first off is advocacy. And I don't see a lot changing in our, in our federal government. You still have to have folks that are down in Washington on a regular basis advocating for the needs of school leaders and, and principals. And that's really, I think, the, the, the biggest thing that helps all principals across the country, not even our our members. It helps all principals. Is the advocacy work done down on the hill? You know, we're, we're fighting battles right now around Title II and what that money is going to look like if that's going to be taken out. Um, there are a couple of bills that are coming out uh, that are being reintroduced here around principal preparation. Having that voice is huge. But if you're a principal in Fairbanks, Alaska. Are you really getting that benefit? You don't see that tangible for the, you know, whatever the, the membership, a couple hundred bucks that you're spending out. That's not directly impacting you and helping you tomorrow. Yeah. And we get, we get that. But I'd also like to think that people, you know, appreciate and can realize that bigger picture that happens, has to happen with, with Washington. Um, and that's a big part of my role in this year is, is helping to spread that voice and be that voice for principals uh, when I'm up on, up on the Hill. And so then you get into what opportunities for leadership and advancing leadership can the organization bring to our, our membership. And so, you know, we all go to principal preparation programs, we get a master's and we can go get a doctorate. You know, those can be, those can get to be very, very expensive over time. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. We've all taken grad classes that, that, that have helped and sometimes not helped us. 
one of the things that NASSP has started to get into is um, the McKinsey Management Leadership Series. And so there's a series of, of courses that you can take um, through McKinsey. And most principals and educators aren't going to be familiar with McKinsey and that name. But if you're in a, a Fortune 500 company, you know McKinsey because they're the leader in professional development. And and CEOs will send people to McKinsey and, and pay crazy amounts of money uh, to get trained. And so NESSP has partnership with, with them and has created uh, using kind of their platform, but adapting it and using some business principles and some education principles. And I've, uh, I've been a part of uh, two of those courses, and I, I have found that they have been uh, very, very helpful and beneficial. And so those are platforms that you can, as a principal, take you know, at your time when you have uh, breaks in, in your schedule. So you're not locked into going to a class every Monday night from six to nine, but if you've got a, you know, half an hour in the morning before you go into school to get a little bit of that work done. So I think there's some, some positive there, but then I think the biggest thing that, that we offer as an organization that can impact schools and school leaders and teachers and students is, is our leadership programs. You know, we are the sponsors of the National Junior Honor Society and the National Honor Society. And those programs allow principals to bring in uh, and, and, and work with students and develop students' leadership capabilities. And I think there's a lot of power behind that and a lot of positive that, uh, that membership in those organizations can, can really change a culture of a building. You know, we give out, uh, I think it was 500 scholarships. And I was in um, New Mexico uh, this past spring and we announced all the winners, the 500 winners across the country. And we, we, NASSP hosts this summit and there were 300 students and, and, and teacher leaders that were there and they were working on a design thinking project for their communities that they were going to, you know, develop that day and then go back and implement in their schools. You know, that kind of change just can really improve culture within buildings and within communities. And I'm really proud of the work that NESSP has done to, to help uh, connect that. But there is a big membership question, and, and I, it's something that we're continuing to talk with as a board of, do we need to be an exclusive membership organization? Do we need to expand? And we already really represent all principals when we go to the Hill. So do we need to rethink what membership looks like for our organization? I think we're around 19,000 members. Some states are stronger than others uh, in regards to membership. In Rhode Island, uh, one, over 100% of the schools in Rhode Island are members of NESSP because we tie in membership to athletics. And so you cannot participate in interscholastic athletics unless you're a member of the state association. In order to be a member of the state association, you have to be a member of the national association. And so I'm really proud that we're, you know, every time that list comes out around membership, Rhode Island's always at the top. But you look at a, a state like California, where our membership is very, is much lower, the state of California puts on tremendous professional development for the, at the state level. And so do we don't want to be in a position where we're competing against states? So it, it raises a really interesting question, and, and, and it's going to uh, – it really has forced us to change our model from, like, strategic planning 
to strategic intent. And I think we're, we're going in the right direction as an organization. I think we need to continue to listen to our members and what their needs are and what they, what they want. Uh, there are a number of, uh, of the office staff at NASSP that are on a listening tour uh, that started a couple of months ago. And they've been going out and meeting with the different state organizations to try to say, hey, what are your needs? What, what do you need from us? How can we support you? And how do we work through this this interesting dynamic of state associations providing PD and a national association trying to provide PD, and how do we kind of uh, bring those together so that we're all working towards the towards the same goal? Yeah, I think you know you said a lot of really fascinating stuff in there. One thing I do want to push back on a little bit is the National Junior Honor Society, for example. You know, my last school we adopted or signed on to be part of the National Junior Honor Society because I agree with you. I think there's value and importance in it. However, it was incredibly difficult for us to award that to anyone because we had moved to a standards-based grading approach. <laughs> uh-huh. And that, that system does not allow for that without you know doing some pretty creative ways of, of recognizing kids that you know might be outside the lines of what you guys are really looking for. And so, you know, that kind of a a thing is there and it's important, but if you're really, you know, changing the way you do school, then that becomes less important. So, you know, that's just one little area where we've got these conflicting interests in what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, it's not an easy answer, but, but that's an area where on the one hand, we want innovation. On the other hand, we want everybody be exactly the same so we can award and have our award mean something. Does that make sense? Jethro, it all comes back to grading. I honestly, it's funny. <laughs> it's, it, 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 I think it grading in assessment is the biggest conversation because when you tackle that, it then filters out into everything else we're doing. And, and I, I, you're right on. I, and I'll have to look into uh, into that, and I'll bring that back to to the board and, and the leadership for NASSP around. Can, can we look at that again and, and, and tweak that? But you're right. How do you how do you fix this? How do you change when everything comes back to points and percentages? And uh, I, I was fortunate to go to a conference uh, from one of our strategic partners uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, and they do a great program to build culture and. At the core of it, it's all about raising GPAs. And I just kept thinking my time during a conference, and there was great speakers, and the kids were all excited, and they were into it. And I kept going, but I don't want kids focused on their GPAs. I want to be right. focused on learning and getting stronger yeah. and, and just you know being better readers. And I, so we've got a long way to go, and I I don't disagree with with that pushback. And I and I again, I think if we can have more honest conversation around what good assessment and grading looks like and what the true purpose behind it is, it will help filter into some of these other areas of, of innovation and reform that we're, we're all struggling with. Yeah. And, you know, there are, there are challenges with that. And what makes a GPA and a grade good is that it allows you to boil something very complex down to something very simple. And there's yeah. benefits to that, right? And so like a, a business will use key performance indicators of cash flow and revenue and net profit and things like that that help them understand whether or not they have a healthy business and if it is, you know, if if it's worth continuing or if it's time to shutter the doors. And 
I think we need to start figuring out some of our better key performance indicators for education that are more than just boiling it down to a grade or a GPA or something like that. And I, I think we can. You're right. But how do we get the federal government to, to, to stop using that same system to grade our states and our schools? You know, you look right. at like Florida, that does a, that I think they do an A to F system. You know, Rhode Island under the new ESSA, we're not going to use grades. We're going to use stars. And so you're either going to mm-hmm. be a one star or a five star. And it's like, oh, so I, it, yeah, we got a long way to go. <laughs> we, we sure do. That's for sure. So um, I do want to wrap up. I want to yep. make sure I ask you my last question. But before that, um, will you talk about the Principals Conference next year for NASSP? Yeah, so I, I just want to uh, throw a plug out um, that NESSP will be hosting the National Principals Conference uh, next uh, July. It's going to be in Chicago. It's a K-12 leadership conference. And so we just had our first uh, uh, joint conference uh, this past uh, July uh, in Philadelphia with NAESP and NASSP. And we had over 4,000 colleagues working together and it was, it was uh, awesome it was a great it was <laughs> the best conference i've been to you know, by far um but being able to have that k-12 uh experience was was great and so um we'd love to, to to see as many folks come out to chicago to be part of that um, i think it's july 11th through 13th uh in july 2018 so there'll be a lot of stuff out on our website and we'll be tweeting about it um i'm sure quite a bit over the next uh, over the next few months Yep. And if you go to principalsconference.org, you can sign up to uh, get notified when registration stuff opens. So that will be great. So my last question, Dan, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. uh, What is something something someone can start doing today to be a transformative principal like you? I think the – and – if if people are listening to this blog, they're probably already kind of doing this. Um, but the biggest thing that uh, is to is to expand your network and to get out of the little silos that we tend to be in our communities. I think sometimes and get start utilizing the really really smart people that are out there across the world and. Twitter has has really opened a lot of doors for me and has really expanded that network. But the fact that I can now reach out to to folks all over the country and even around the world to bounce ideas off of, to change up, uh, just to get some different different thinking on on topics, has been tremendously important uh, for my growth. And. I was surprised that last week I was at the Vermont Principals Conference and I was there with uh, Jimmy Costas was the was one of the keynote speakers and so you know he's a big Twitter evangelist and PLN and person and so when we we had we ran an ed camp and we ran a session for people that had never been on Twitter before and I was still I was really shocked by how many people that came to that session um, as they wanted to learn more which was which was great but I guess I'm still shocked of how many people aren't out there and utilizing this tool. And so it's something that, that I want to advocate for and, and continue to push you know, during this year uh, as president of NESSP to try to get people to expand their networks outside of their little silos and their little worlds that they're in. You know, It's very easy to get caught up in just your little town politics, your school politics, your school issues. But I guarantee you somebody's out there has, has probably got a solution for you or at least uh, a couple ideas to help you rethink whatever problem that you're facing. And um, 
I'm, I'm so grateful for the network of, of folks that uh, I have in my life. And, uh, and I'm excited, Jethro, now that I'm expanding to Alaska. So I don't think I had anybody out there. So uh, I appreciate uh, connecting with you at the conference uh, last month and uh, look forward to learning from you too going forward. Well, thanks so much. So how do people connect with you personally? Uh, so connecting with, uh, with me, people, folks can email me directly uh, through NASSP at uh, Kelly D, K-E-L-L-E-Y-D at NASSP.org. Uh, my Twitter handle, uh, and uh, Jimmy gave me a hard time about this. Uh, gives me a hard time about this every time. Uh, my Twitter yeah. <laughs> handle is a little different, um, and it's at DPK933. And uh, so I would recommend if you're new to Twitter, uh, don't do what I did. Uh, create a better uh, hashtag, a better uh, handle for yourself uh, that has more of your name in it. Uh, but again, that's for a podcast for a different day. Um, <laughs> but uh, Twitter is probably the best way at, uh, at DPK933 to get in touch. Cool. Well, again, Dan, thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principle podcast. This is episode 197. So there's if somebody's wow. looking to learn and connect with more people, there's 196 episodes before this where they can do just that. So thank you so much, Dan. It's been awesome. Yeah, my pleasure, Jethro. And congrats. I didn't know this was 197. That's awesome. So thank you for the work that, uh, that you do uh, to uh, promote leadership across our country as well. Well, that was a great interview. I really liked that. And uh, there are definitely some some ways to improve the national organization and make it better for everybody involved. And I appreciate that Dan is, is looking at that as the president and has been involved for, in that process for many years. So I think that that is really vital. Thank you so much for listening to the Transformative Principle Podcast. As always, I greatly appreciate your, uh, your listening and Please feel free to share this with someone else and help someone else be a better principal today. Have a great week. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology? Save teachers time? Improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.